0: Laughter really is the best medicine. It can heal so many things. (laughs) Babies laughing, for example, can heal your heart. As E. E. Cummings said, the most wasted of all days is one without laughter. Studies have shown there are many physical health benefits of laughter. It boosts immunity, it lowers stress hormones, it decreases pain, it relaxes your muscles, it prevents heart disease, and mental health benefits as well. It adds joy and zest to life, it eases anxiety and tension, it relieves stress, it improves mood, and it strengthens resilience. There are also social benefits. It strengthens relationships, it attracts others to us, it enhances teamwork, it helps diffuse conflict, and it promotes group bonding. Also, 10 to 15 minutes of laughter a day can burn up to 40 calories. How's that for a weight loss program? And a sense of humor can protect against heart disease. Sounds pretty good, right? I'm in, I'm guessing you are too. As entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, or even a person of wage employment, we oftentimes get hyper-focused on our mission and forget to have fun. I know I certainly do. That is the double-edged sword of loving what we do sometimes it's very hard to stop working especially when we get on a roll know what i mean i remember when i was producing my last large-scale event at the weston long beach in california in 2010 i put an incredible lineup of all my favorite speakers and leaders and filled the room with 200 people some of the speakers you might recognize are the likes of michael gerber the legend behind Emyth, the number one best-selling business book of all time Ali Brown, the rock star leader and mega millionaire builder seen on ABC's Celebrity Millionaire and many other titans of the self and business development industry. I think back to how freaking hard I worked to put that on and how stressed out I was. Let me tell you, laughter was not a part of my process. Could I have added more laughter along the way? You bet. Could I have gone about the whole production another way? Of course. Could I have played more comedy acts to raise my vibrations and feel better overall? Heck yes. Audrey Hepburn said, "'I love people who make me laugh. "'I honestly think it's the thing I like most to laugh. "'It cures a multitude of ills. "'It's probably the most important thing in a person.'" One of my all-time favorite comedians is Jim Carrey. What a brilliant and spiritually awake man he is. This clip from before he was the sage enlightened master he is today. One of my all-time favorites, for all my health-conscious friends out there. That's how much organic matter you need every day. Now you could eat it in that form, but sooner or later you're gonna get tired of wiping your butt. Another problem is fruit. How do you get at it? Look, what do I do with it? You need to be a NASA scientist to get inside that thing. Have you ever tried to drink a raw carrot, Gordy? It can't be done. Wow, I get it. Now that's where the juice weasel comes in. Yes. The juice weasel separates the fiber from the juice, saving only the most essential elements. That's the beauty of my design, Gordy. I want you to try something. Sure, Jay. A little concoction I made before the show. Okay.
1: Ooh, that tastes like somebody's dirty undershorts
0: not just somebody's gordy they're mine <laughs> but see the undershorts are gone all that's left
1: is the life-giving juice that's incredible no,
0: If any of you remember the juice man, Jay Kordich, on TV, I always found him to be quite interesting and funny. He had neon orange skin, probably from juicing so many carrots, and these big, white, bushy eyebrows. And he had an infectious high energy and enthusiasm that not many will ever generate. It's been my intention to get both Jim Carrey and Russell Brand on the Face Your Dragon podcast for a long time, and I will. You want to know why? Because I'm intending it to happen. Things happen that way, right? Welcome to the Face Your Dragon podcast, where we help you, a messenger with a mission, leverage your fear to amplify your voice in the world. On the show, we open up the concept that what you are most afraid of and most resisting are the very things that will set you free. With courage, with clarity, with contribution, you can have it all. This show will engage in deep, enriching conversation with thought leaders, best-selling authors, celebrities, athletes, icons, and regular Joes who have faced their fear and are now using it to create impact in the world. I'm Brad Axelrad, and I'll be your host. The funny thing is, I met this week's guest back in the early 90s. He's one of my all-time favorite comedians for a long time, especially after seeing him live at Tommy T's in San Ramon, California. Hilarious, raw, and real he is. This interview is one of my favorites for many reasons. The humor and levity and transformation that is flowing through Craig Shoemaker is top-notch. Holding truth, holding spaciousness, holding vulnerability, Craig hits all sides of the human experience right between the eyes. And it's damn funny. I trust you will enjoy this man's brilliance as much as I did and do. He's been on Broadway, performed stand-up comedy for four US presidents, Guest starred with recurring acting roles on network TV, performed solo television specials, and hosted and produced reality television, and is an award winning producer and best selling author. He's had several successful TV stand up specials and numerous co starring roles in feature films and TV, and now has a best selling book, Love Mastered, critically acclaimed by the likes of Whoopi Goldberg and Drew Pinsky. Craig's also written for the second season of Fuller House for Netflix, and he was the best male stand-up at the American Comedy Awards on ABC, and his work as actor and producer for Prism earned him two Natas Emmy Awards. Listen in as this deep, world-class comedian shares from his heart. I truly feel honored to be able to share this with you. Craig Shoemaker, it's so great
1: to have you on the Face Your Dragon podcast, my friend. Welcome. Welcome. I uh, couldn't wait to be on Face Your Dragon. I've wanted to face my dragon for quite some time now, <laughs> and
0: I'm curious to hear how you've faced it throughout your career, man. It's, uh, you know, I just want to share with the listeners. I first met or saw Craig in San Ramon, California, in like 1991 at a Tommy T's, or what What was that place called, that comedy club?
1: Yeah, I was uh, playing at a little strip center above a TGI Fridays. That was the highlight of my career.
0: <laughs> that was the pinnacle. That was the peak, right?
1: <laughs> yes. I'm glad you got to catch it.
0: <laughs> so the Love Master. I mean, let's start there, because that, that really, how did you come up with the Love
1: Master? What is that? Speaking of dragons. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> What yeah, is it? baby. Oh, yeah. That's right, ladies. <laughs> this ain't no lizard. <laughs> oh, no. So, no, yeah. It's a little creepy just doing the Love Master with you on the line. For sure. But uh, the Love Master was created. My, one of my first dragons of life that I had to face was the rejection of females. Mm-hmm. It began with my mom, and then, you know, I grew up with all females. And then I was a geek in high school, and all the girls – you know the girls pee together, the the posse pee? <laughs> They'd go as a gang. They would bring me with them. That's what a geek I was. Oh, jeez. Yeah, and I'd be sitting there like during a party, and the girls would all be talking about the guys. They're, Tommy's so cute. George is so hot. And I'm going, you know, my little high voice, I'll fix you up. <laughs> and, and then, <laughs> the friend zone. And, you were in the friend zone. Oh, I, would, I, I invented the friend zone. And then what <laughs> I was thinking – Oh, give the geek a chance, baby. I love you so good. Your neighbor will have a smoke, baby. And that's what I wanted to say to them, but I never did. <laughs> so he's the love master who channels through me and gives them what they say they want because they didn't want the nice guy friend. They wanted the bad guy.
0: Interesting. So there, this was a persona that you sort of created in your head first, and then it became this external. Did Did you actually use it, or was it just more of
1: a comedic act? No, never used it. Now, since I've become kind of famous for doing it, I have used it in my single days. (laughs) I've had women that will only be with the Love Master. They don't (laughs) think, they have no interest in Craig Shoemaker whatsoever. (laughs) But yeah, it feels so strange, though, when somebody's asking me to do a character the entire time I'm with them. Uh, So (laughs) that usually doesn't last long. Now I've actually mastered love itself, so that's the irony is I wrote a book called Love Mastered because uh, it went from being this sexual, lethario, phony, you know, tell you what I'm going to do to you to just being me, and uh, that's accepted – pure and simple by my wife, who's my soulmate. Oh, it's beautiful, man.
0: It's pretty. Yeah, I'm just so curious. You know, I wondered if that was, you know, being a transformational leader, we're both members of the Association of Transformational Leaders. I thought that maybe there was sort of a double entendre there in the sense that the love master was what you had just said, but also, you know, like you said, you've mastered love. What, what Was that intentional or was that an afterthought?
1: No, absolutely kind of like a divine thought that you know in the the plan that the, the big G has for us you'd never know what's in store and I think the, the love master at first was brought out of a need for attention and a, sort of a false love and little did I know that it would turn into something so significant as pure absolute divine love and I didn't know it at the time and then when I was writing my book, the book is actually a strange tale. A fan reached out to me that only knows this love master, you know, sexual dynamo who brags about what brags about his genitalia and everything <laughs> else he's going to do to you. And she, most people only know me as that, and they don't know this other side of self discovery and inner Shangri-La that we finally arrived at. So she reached out to me. She just said, thought you want to know my husband and I are divorcing after, um, 30 years of marriage. And literally what came over me, this is a private message was reach out to her and share your pain and try to bring out her pain and help her through this now difficult path she's about to embark on is divorce. So the book is she and I went back and forth on private message over a year. And it turns out I was kind of amused for her. She's a wonderful writer. I couldn't wait to go back to my hotel room and write to her. It's almost like a love story, all encouraged by my wife to continue down this path with this woman that I don't even know. She's 3,000 miles away, and she's like a fan of mine, and she just didn't expect this to be returned to her, what I was giving of myself. And so the book is this exchange back and forth, and it's all time-stamped. And midway through this conversation that we were having, I said, you know, this should be a book we should share with others to see how they can get through whatever it is, whatever their dragon is. It turns out it was the first time she ever revealed that she was abused by this man and he was an alcoholic and didn't care about his children. And she never admitted it to anyone except for me. And now the thousands of people that bought the book, although she changed her name and so forth. But it was quite an experience. And I had this connection going with the higher source that was speaking through me. It wasn't me. And it told me, I said to her, I said, she kept saying, well, I'm 50 years old, I'll never be in love. And I never was in love with this guy. So she actually had a thought that she would never be in love her entire life. And I said, oh, no, something's telling me otherwise, because you are such a beautiful woman and you're going to have a reflection of you appear and sure enough, I said, I'm calling you this time. I'm not writing you. And I called her up and I said, you're going to go out with this guy who's also in he was in a horrible 30 year marriage as well, abusive. And he's my friend. I've known a long time and I fixed them up and now they're getting married. I
0: forgot about
1: that. When we were
0: hanging out in the Association of Transformational Leaders. You mentioned that you are the love.
1: <laughs> uh, what do you call it? The love connector. <laughs> love Yenta. I love Yenta. Uh, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Wow. I should change my name to that. Yeah, I fixed up nine marriages now, and it's absolutely something that comes to me, and I just asked these people to open up, and she said, well, the divorce paper, the the ink's not dry on the divorce paper. I said, just trust me, and sure enough, she did. And by the way, I said to her, I go, you know, he's no Brad Pitt, and when he was reading the book in front of me, he goes, what do you mean I'm no Brad Pitt? I go, Frank, (laughs) are you kidding me? You have hair on your knuckles. It's... (laughs) I mean I I said no you're not Brad Pitt and what I did was I fixed up two people that are spiritually aligned and that's everything in a relationship that you can have is that spiritual alignment Mm. where you understand that a person doesn't complete you. You are complete and whole and you bring those two pieces together and it's a wonderful thing. It's a union and uh, that's what happened with my wife now, and it's, uh, it's amazing to live like this, and what a difference. So, yeah, I got my master's degree, and it took a lot of pain to get there. Love master with a master's in love. Yeah. Love it. The book, the book is called Love Mastered with an apostrophe D. Ah, uh, nice. And, and, you know, I think a lot of my fans thought they were going to see a whole joke book of dick jokes, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so.
0: Love it. Well, you're speaking to our tribe here.
1: Uh, <laughs> so, some aspect of it, right? We've all got these different sides of us here. and It's funny you should say that, though, because one of my goals is to take, you know, I've been part of the quote unquote spiritual community, and obviously a part of the comedy community, but they're very divided. And yeah, you know, I think that a lot of the spiritual folks think that you have to sit on a rock in Sedona to have enlightenment. Right. And a lot of the comedians think you have to be sarcastic and cynical for your joy. And I'm trying to build a bridge from the woo-woo people to the haha. Oh, <laughs> so it's beautiful. I want to build a bridge. Yeah, because it's very spiritual to laugh, and it's they should be connected as one. And that's one of my goals.
0: Oh, that's beautiful. And we'll talk about laughter heals in a moment, but I want to stay with this thought and you're, you know, you're spot on. And that's why I said, this is our people. Part of this whole movement, the, the the facing your dragon movement is to really recognize that we have all these different parts, component, disconnected, disintegrated and integrated parts to us. And, you know, you nailed it. Sitting on top of a hilltop, meditating all day is one thing. But facing reality and really being real and and finding humor and levity in all of it is key. Without without levity, it, it, everything is so serious and so heavy. Like if we're, we're yeah. if we're gonna face our fears, we need to we need to be able to laugh at them and start using them and integrating them, having fun with them. You know?
1: Yeah, it's what I love about the Dalai Lama. His message is absolute joy and happiness and laughter. And I think it's so much missing in that community where there's such a it's almost like they don't know who they are and they, they kind of have to check with their neighbors to see if something's political <laughs> correct you know i've had audiences where they, it doesn't go over as well because i'll say things with sarcasm and you know being facetious or whatever it is and it's it doesn't resonate with right. them because they, they don't really get it they're going well wait a minute this doesn't compute i'm supposed <laughs> to be we're all one on the planet and it's you know we're we're divinely connected and and you just said something that was uh, sarcastic and that's tearing of flesh and this does not compute and then they don't laugh mm. and 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 how joyless is that right and then if you talk about something that is enlightened or spiritual there the the comedy community is so sarcastic about it right i've always wondered you know bill maher i love that show and i think one thing i love about him is he tells the truth which is very very aligned with a higher source is telling the truth but he is detached from that because he has this these ideas about religion but he never has anyone on there that is coming from a perspective of between religion and, you know, like a spiritual sense. And so I always wonder, why doesn't he have them on? Is he threatened? Is he afraid of it? I've had atheists on my podcast. And I said, well, what do you believe? And I said, I just believe in being good to people and kind. And I said, what if that's your God? And I said, that's a hell of a better God than some of the religious people that kill in the name of religion. I said, I'd rather have that God than another. So – Maybe you're the most spiritual, enlightened person that I know, and you're claiming to be an atheist. So its I think it's everybody's fear of not knowing self and not being willing to explore self without someone doing it for them or telling them how they're supposed to feel, as opposed to really finding what resonates, what feels right, what feels aligned and good. And that is what your meter is only. You know, and then you will laugh because then you're going to laugh at all of our Failures and our, our stumbling, rumbling, fumbling <laughs> you know this is what we laugh at we relate to it because we are one on the planet but we're also one with our faults yeah
0: and, and you know it's what we say here is that your greatest fear and your greatest resistance are the very things that will set you free they're your purpose they're your money maker they're your gift to humanity so if we can find in our faults and leverage them that's that's really the juice yes so awesome so let's shift gears here buddy i I see that you started on matlock is that what that was one of your (laughs) i didn't know that dude (laughs) i cannot
1: believe this you are the second person this week to interview me and mention matlock and by the way the second among two in my history of comedy of all of all of the things on my resume you two clowns picked <laughs> matlock from from 1991 yeah baby where i played craig claiborne the entertainment reporter of atlanta <laughs> uh, or brian claiborne my name's craig that's right but uh yes i was on two matlocks and i got <laughs> nice. to meet, meet my idol andy griffith he was he was a dad to me because i would come home and right here's something for your young millennials i'd watch something called uhf uh, that was our channel changer was the UHF and it was a dial that you had to tune in your channels like a safe cracker you would uh. surround the channel and I the Andy Griffith show and he was my dad and Don Knotts was my uncle so here I got to meet them both and my very first thing on television uh, that's Ackerman. so cool it was pretty cool
0: and now did you face fears being in that environment you know sometimes you get these big opportunities and you get really excited and afraid what was the experience like for you
1: In that situation, of course, yes. Yes. Here I am on a set of a popular show. I was, you know, early 20s, just arrived in Hollywood. And here's the first, you know, break, quote unquote. And it was, yeah, I've always had fear around things that I don't do on a regular basis. As a matter of fact, I still have fear on comedy stages. I've probably done, you know, over 10,000 performances. And if the situation is one that I'm not completely comfortable and absolutely in alignment, yeah, there's fear, and I think that's what it all boils down to: is are you in a connection with a higher source? Is that what's powering you, or is greed, ego, fear is what's motivating you? What's propelling you forward? It's one or the other. You're either inferior in faith. And to be an absolute faith takes a hell of a practice. It's like, you know, if you don't do uh, your laughter lunges or serenity squats, you know, you have to be spiritually fit to have that confidence to bring out your natural abilities. Cause we all have them anyway. It's all, you know, our dragons that prevent us from expression of those natural abilities that are all contained within us. We're infinite. Right.
0: Yeah, hundred percent. So I know I'm loving how we're toggling between consciousness transformation and just flat out comedy. So let's pivot this thing back to totally baked. One of the movies I really enjoyed many years ago. I had no idea you were involved in with Totally Baked. And did you write that? Did I read that correctly?
1: Yeah, I produced it, wrote it, and star in it. And it's a potumentary. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's because my son. I was singing that song Joker, Smoker, Midnight, Toker, and he uh-huh. goes. He was like a little seven-year-old. He goes, what's a toker? I said, well, it's someone that smokes pot. And he pulls out a pot from the kitchen. He goes, how do you smoke that, Dad? And I'm like, oh, Daddy probably tried back in the 80s to smoke anything.
0: Smoke anything, yeah. Me too, back when I was like 15. Well, let's try yeah. this.
1: We smoked anything and out of anything. You know, a corn cob, <laughs> a, a carrot, apple, whatever. whatever. Tin, tin, tin can, whatever. My, my mother's shoe. <laughs> I think we tried everything. So the movie explores why is it legal? Why should it be criminalized? And I have to tell you, and and I don't smoke pot for many years, so I'm a good advocate for this. The conclusion is it's absolutely ridiculous why it is illegal and what happened, how it got demonized. We go through the history and the hypocrisy, and the movie's very, very silly. And because I wrote it, I got to write in parts for naked women. That was great. Naked men too, but that wasn't, you know. That it wasn't just as to be, exciting. Yeah, you got to be as bad. You know, I'm a straight guy. So it was funny uh, casting the women. is It's hard to find actresses that will do nudity. So I had to go to strip clubs. And there I am in my minivan <laughs> with a roll of 20s and a script. And they, they would be doing a lap dance. I said, can you read these lines?
0: <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's awesome.
1: And one of them is a, like a legit actress now. We got her started. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Look so there you go. You never know. Never know what's in store yeah. if you just show up.
0: Yeah. So tell me about Laughter heels. Let's get back serious and spiritual and contributory again. What's
1: going on with that movement you're up to there? You don't think it's spiritual to discover a stripper and change her career? <laughs> I transformed her career into she has eight by tens now in a suit. So. <laughs> hey, that's
0: higher purpose, baby. Comes, there you comes go. in you, all you, forms.
1: You know, it does, and that's the thing that we need to expand our horizons Agreed. on what is what is transformation, what is higher purpose. You know, it's not just what's defined by whatever you know organization you belong to. It's so much more expanded out, and that's what I'm trying to get across to people: is we don't ever want to live in these boxes that people put us in, whether it's you know the good box or the bad box. You know, quote unquote, we just want to really live with purpose. And if the purpose is, speaking of laughter heals, the purpose is to spread the awareness of the absolute power of laughter, of how it's so transformative to laugh, it shifts your consciousness, it literally makes your body feel well and be well, it relieves stress, oxygenates your body, healing endorphins released, all from this choice of laughter, and it is a choice. It's a choice. You can go into the space of judgment and cynicism and, and prevent yourself from this freedom to of expression, or you can just say, I am willing, and you do it, and I cannot believe the results of this. All inspired by m- one of my best friends, I kept seeing all these indications of You know, the stand up comedy not being about me anymore. It's about something bigger than me. And, you know, I got into it for selfish purposes. You know, I thought the girls would like me. And, you know, I meet a few waitresses on the road and, you know, and then I would do that and felt nothing. There's nothing sustainable. Right. And then I started to get these people that would come up and say, Hey, um, my daughter listened to your CD during remission for leukemia in the hospital and you helped her get better. And then I would hear, all these people had said they were told they couldn 't have children, and they came to my show, and the guy tried to be the love master afterwards and You know, I set her up, you knock her down, baby, and sure enough these all these kids have been conceived in laughter, like one was conceived <laughs> one was conceived in the parking lot of the Brea improv, and they sent me a photo of this Of this little baby laughing. Oh, oh, it's a riot. And I've watched the baby grow now. She's 15 years old, and now she comes to my shows. It's amazing. So I kept seeing this and these indications, these nudges that I was getting to take this in a different... And then the final one was one of my best friends, Michael Goldberg, who wrote Cool Running's Little Giants, and he directed the Love Master movie. Ah. We were in uh, Arizona filming, and his wife was ovulating. They wanted a child. I said, try it do the love master, man. And he did. I went out, got sandwiches. I was not there for this. And uh, I came back. He was already finished. We watched our Eagles game. And sure enough, Karen got pregnant and baby Kayla was born nine months later it's oh, amazing! Uh, out, of, out of love and laughter. And then a year and a half after that, she was a year and a half baby. He got brain cancer. They diagnosed him. They said, you have three months to live. And that's when I got this Laughter Heels going. He showed up at every one of our events and all of our, you know, live to laugh therapy sessions. And, and he lived uh, 15 years past that prognosis. Wow. You know, he had a will to live and a will to laugh. And it gives you purpose, man. It gives you meaning. And, you know, it's depressing to go through chemotherapy and all the process that you have to go through, you know, so if you are you just give up. And so much of it has to do with your mind first is once the mind makes that choice of saying I have reason to live, man. Laughter's one of them. Sharing it with my friends and being here for my daughter and teaching her how to laugh and being there for all of that, it gave him purpose and he kept going. I mean, he suffered a lot. Yeah, I'm that sure. Process. I made him laugh on his deathbed. He was in a coma. I said, geez, Golds, I don't know what else to do. I've done everything. We had it going. I said, you're just lying there with nothing to do. I said, you want me to uh, jerk you off? I said, <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. And I mimed, I mimed masturbation. <laughs> and I'm not kidding you. He comes out of a coma and he goes, <laughs> and he laughed. <laughs> wow. I made him laugh. I knew that would do it. you know. And I didn't even know he knew who I was or where he was or anything. And he laughed. And then he died the following week. Oh, but, uh, so. wow. Dedicate laughter heels to Michael Goldberg and great comedy writer. And we bonded through laughter. You know, as a Philly boy, just like me. And that's how most great relationships are formed is you have all these memories of the times you chuckled together, you know?
0: Well, it's interesting. This is a beautiful story and bittersweet for me, and I'll share briefly why. I, You know, my, my dad passed in 2005 of a brain tumor, Cancerous oh. brain tumor, and it took him out. He, you know, they gave him up to a year to live. He was gone in four months, and I had a lot of regrets not spending more time with him. I spent quite a bit of time in the last four months, but could have and quote unquote should have spent more time. But it's interesting to hear. I, you know, the the sweetness. The, obviously, the bitter was that he passed, and I, I'm grieving my father's passing. But the sweetness was that that was the moment that I realized that self-indulgence and making everything about me and living my life for myself was just not meaningful anymore. There needed to be something more. I was begging the universe for something to show up in my life that provided value to humanity. So it was yeah. in, in his passing that, that I'm now who I am today, you know, 11 years later, and have been on many media outlets and produced hundreds of live events. I get to hang out and interview folks like you, and you know, the Don Miguel Ruizes of the world, like it's really, really special. But if we can find the sweetness in that, and you are, and that's where the levity and the humor, I think what you're really alluding to through this whole conversation is that there's so much benefit into
1: seeking that. I agree, man. I'm, I hear you, brother. I mean, it's really um, we live in confinement, and we need to really break free of that. And that's yeah. what I'm finding. And even the confinement of language. I, you know, I just right. told the story. of like, you know, I don't even know if you know a lot of people will you know connect with that story. They might be offended, because, right. but their offense, I would dare say, is based on some concepts they were handed, and some, you know, about language, for instance. Right. Everybody makes a big deal about language. I, I, You know, I had a thought the other day. They're worried about language with kids hearing it and so on. It's like, who cares? It's a language. It's your language, and it's your restrictions. In another language, they wouldn't even understand what you were saying. (laughs) The F word means nothing if you're over in, in Latvia. If you said the F word (laughs) all day long to a Latvian, he would (laughs) stare at you and have no idea what you were talking about. And then they'll show kids like schoolyard shootings and massacres and terror on television. And you think that my language, you know what I always wonder if they'll show a beheading on television, right? They've shown this. There's images of beheadings. I always wonder, would they cut the language out if the guy who's being beheaded said, this guy's got a fucking axe? <laughs> would, <they>, <laughs> would they bleep the F while the guy is, you know what I mean? Because it's crazy to me. Well, that, here's... The whole- he, sorry, language. sorry
0: here's the crazy thing I'm like cringing and smiling and laughing and cringing and smiling and laughing I'm having this sort of contraction and opening and contraction and opening as you're saying it as I'm as I'm in the conversation of how we're making meaning about all these words and how we do it and boy how are the listeners gonna land with this conversation we're in and I'm like fuck it there's part of me that's like this is real I'm intending everything to be raw and real and And it's important to have that level of realness, but also recognition or recognizing that you're absolutely right. We attach unnecessary meaning to things. And then as you know, with quantum physics, then it becomes reality. So, right? So good or bad, but we're both correct. They're correct and correct. And I say they're correct. The folks that are, you know, critics of language that are super hyper tense about it. And then also we're true about it, that it has no meaning. I mean, or we're accurate. So it's kind of both,
1: you know? It could be both, yeah, but I've come from both, and I will tell you, the most freeing is to, you know, kind of eschew these things that we've been taught and be free of them. And I haven't had that experience of freedom when living like that, with that approach of, you know, the FCC is more important than the FDA, which it should be reversed. The FDA allows drugs that you can overdose on to be absolutely peddled on commercials, And the the drug companies, what they get away with, how many people have been killed from the addiction to these quote unquote prescription drugs that they just let go because they're bribed. They they let them go out on the streets. And what's happening to that? Has anyone ever died from an (laughs) (laughs) F-bomb? That's awesome. Has anyone ever been smothered by a shit storm? No. (laughs) No.
0: Is this the, okay?
1: Is this the first time you're ever saying those? It's brilliant. Yeah, literally, it is. I'm actually thinking to myself. Do I have any more? <laughs> what else you got? Shitstorm and co- f bomb. What else? What, what, Let's see. What's another bad word? <laughs> oh, if, the, if, if you if you say the word cock and you're referring to a rooster, that's okay. But if you say it in another way, <laughs> it's not. It's just silly. I love it's, it. It's a formation of letters that make a word. If you're saying something or doing something with bad intent that's racist or misogynist, yeah, then you need to check with yourself. It's what's your intent. If I'm putting emphasis on something, you know, to whatever it is, to engage you, maybe even get your attention because you're so locked into a certain way, maybe today's words, just maybe one person out there has a different look at it. They, they step back. You know, I want to I write a book called Get Out of Line. Get out of line and into alignment. Get out of line of what you're told to be in, these lemmings that are told to vote a certain way, to be a certain way, to endorse war and strife and mayhem. Just get out of line and go, wait a minute. Does my alignment fit with this agenda? Which does it fit with? Am I okay throwing out a curse word? Sure I am. It's words, and I'm having fun doing it. <laughs> Which there's benefit to that all around, right? Oxytocin, yes. dopamine, endorphin, serotonin, who knows, right? Yes. So if you're sitting there in judgment, you will never lowly laugh. You know, I have an acronym for laugh. It Laugh is L, is for love, because absolute love that you're feeling in that moment. There's a connection with everyone around you when you're laughing. Acceptance is the A. It means you're in acceptance for this is exactly the way it's supposed to be at this exact moment. Understanding, you understand life for its true meaning and in gratitude. We must remain in gratitude because that's what life is, is we are grateful for everything we have, every breath that we take. It's a wonderful life that we live and it's filled with laughter and joy and we should pursue happiness as our forefathers told us to do, and not pursue all this strife and mayhem. And then the last is humility. we got to remember that H is for humility because let's be humble and understand that we all have these shortcomings. And it's wonderful to laugh at them because that's what laughter is, is you have a truth that's connected in your body and in your soul and in your mind. At that very moment that you express this laughter, you are completely connected with the humility and understanding of what is going on. A comedian is either saying something that you've done before, you never want to do again, and there's some embarrassment, and there's a humility to understand we're not in charge. Mm. And that's what laugh is to me. Love it. So, Datitude, what is (laughs) Datitude? Datitude is a uh, one-man show that I did on Showtime and Netflix. I think it's on some other channels that I'm not getting paid for and DVD and all that when they, (laughs) I think I have a few in my garage, but it's a 90 minute special. The only one they ever did on Showtime for 90 minutes. And it's a lot about raising kids in this generation. And that's the other one. I hit a lot of chords for people that don't really want to look at the truth of how silly we are, how much we drug kids. Right. And I'll say it in a funny way. Like, you know, everybody's got ADD. I have a new joke about ADD. I said, you know what it stands for? Attention deficit. You were a kid once, let's be honest. What normal kid pays attention? Have you ever seen a kid go? I hear everything you're say. I'm focused. I'm looking you right in the eye. What would you like me to do? What would you like me to do? Command me. I have an attention surplus. I'm going to rewire our home. No, it was called hyperactive. It was simple. You know, I used to, I was so hyper, I used to sleepwalk and wet my sister's bed. You no, know, I mean nobody gave me drugs for it. You're supposed yeah. to have a lack of attention. These are the things that we work on. We can't be controlled by these drugs and be controlled by parents that want to make sure that you get in line, mm. get out of line. That's what's so unique. We are unique emanations of this higher source. We don't want to all be the same. That's called Nazi Germany. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I don't want to Heil to whoever. Yeah. I want to make my own step you know no goose step for me it's a shoe step um, that's my nickname shoe so i'm going to make my own steps and mm-hmm. that's makes unique it's fantastic and i implore everyone to do this now you
0: get to do that in writing obviously you've written movies you're a writer for fuller house the the old
1: full house this is a new <laughs> what is this thing it's netflix what is fuller house the number one show on television it i was brought in season two debuted a little while ago in the first week of December. And it's a real old school family show. It's a sitcoms that I grew up with. And they brought me in, I guess, because it's Full House. It the little girls from Full House are now growing up and DJ has boys. She's got three boys, just like, you know, her dad had girls, the three girls so it's kind of a reversal and then she's a widow just like he was a widower and she's raising these boys in a house so i was brought up with all females so i relate to you know these boys in that house of all females and i've got kids myself and so they brought me in sort of like the expert <laughs> cuz the guy that created it he's been single his entire life he's never had children so he brings in a lot of parents who can uh, write some of the dialogue and understand what goes on in our homes. Yeah, yeah. so it was a fun show. I'll never do it again. Yeah. Because <laughs> being in a writer's room, it turned into jury duty. Uh-huh. <laughs> you're, you're sequestered for 10 hours a day with 12 people. It was very odd. It was a beautiful, unique experience.
0: I bet. Not flow enough. There wasn't enough sort of flow. You're kind of caged in like in Hollywood squares. <laughs> I loved Hollywood Scores. That
1: was my goal.
0: I loved you being on that show, man. I remember that 20 years ago, 15, um, (laughs) 10 years ago, 20. What was it, I think it's
1: eh, about 18 years ago. Actually, I know when it was because my son's 18, and I brought him in the box with me once, so it was 17 years ago. Uh, Yeah, you know what's funny was when I was a kid, I wanted a dad, and I used to write letters to Paul Lynn, the center square, Uncle Arthur on Bewitched, and I wrote him letters to fix him up with my mother. Because I read an article that he was single. Now, I was a kid. I didn't know why he was single. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, boy. My, my goal was to be the first father and son team on the Hollywood oh, Squares. Nice. Like Picture them going, I'd like Craig and Paul Lind for the win, please. I go, Take it, son. It's a sports question. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's freaking awesome.
1: It's I don't know what's wrong with these kids today. <laughs> I love that guy. But he's not alive. So right. he would let me used to let me visit the center square to see what it would have been like to be in the center square with my father paul lynn wow so tell me craig what the, for- the only problem with, with the show though is i'm not a big celebrity so i was always craig shoemaker to block i was i was never the first one chosen like one time I'm looking on a monitor, I'm the only way to go. She's like, I'll take Antonio Banderas to lose. <laughs> I just want to talk to Antonio Banderas. <laughs> exactly. That's, that's awesome. Know. All right, man. So, Schubert, uh, comedian guy.
0: So, so tell the listeners, what is one sort of takeaway you can really like, what can you leave them with That's an action item for them to take to really face fear and to really step into their, their power or whatever that
1: is, or whatever they're trying to do in the
0: world. What is that one
1: thing you can really offer to them? It's an interesting question because I guess you're asking for a first step as opposed to I believe the answer is a process. Sure. So you take the first step to the process. I would say, and I'm ad-libbing right now, it would be to take insanity, which is the same behavior expecting different results. So it's taking some insane behavior that you have that has the same outcome. Each and every time, and you kick yourself, and you're going, "Oh my God, here I am again." Whether it's, you know, a sexual addiction where you end up in, you know, another bedroom with someone where you're going, "Oh my God, how do I get out of here?" Or whether it's, you know, drugs, alcohol, relationships, jobs, losing a job again, not fulfilling a career that should be yours, and just taking a job, it's having that moment. You know, I call it because I'm a comedian, a ha moment, and figure out where you can put some more ha-ha into your life mm. and change that condition and take that first step away from that and towards the light, enlightenment, and laughterment. And how can you do that? You'll only be happy and finding more joy and laughter if you do make that choice. Otherwise, you're going to be in the same rut. Right. You know, I had to take the step away from... I was in a very, very toxic marriage. And I was in that marriage because it was fulfilling an odd need I had to please my mother. Right. And I had to step away. I can't be marrying someone because my mother's happy that she's Irish. You know, <laughs> that's I mean, right, And does all the things my mom thinks makes for a good woman. It, I wasn't feeling it. I was feeling tortured and pain, a recreation of my mom rejecting me you know most guys go for looks of beauty i would go for looks of disdain <laughs> you know just just to bring back that feeling that i had my whole childhood <laughs> yeah. of, of being rejected by my mom and sure enough i got out of that marriage and oh man all hell broke broke loose my mother went bye-bye and and my ex-wife went absolutely nuts on me you know mm. like accusing me of things ran me through courts oh geez. you know saying i was this person and i wasn't it's all what she saw, and then the step was I made this big, big decision. I'll never forget this mantra, and if anyone can have this as a takeaway, is all I wanted was someone that sees me for who I truly am, not what they dictate me to be. Ooh, and that's so I big. had a mantra, and sure enough, what happened? It appeared in the form of a woman who is my friend, and we're on our way to uh, – this place we met, Agape, in, uh, uh, in Los Angeles. We are on our way there. We had dinner. And at that dinner, I knew. There was a knowing that I had not felt. This woman looked at me. There was no agenda. There was no baggage from the past projecting right. me to be something, projecting me to be her father, right. issues, or whatever it is. She just looked at me and saw the absolute pure, loving spirit that I am. And 12 years later, not eight nanosecond has gone by where that love has not been absolutely pure with oh, her beautiful man Congratulations. my, my and we have children together and they i just uh, thought about it this morning is they run into my arms when i'm in bed and they just cuddle and snuggle with me because they've been raised to see me for who i am uh. and the other two have gone through this terrible struggle because of their mom has seen to the opposite that she tries to project onto them He's a bad man, and you know she goes to any lengths to prove her hypothesis. And by the way, she's never been in love her entire life, never had a career, no education. Her entire life, she cannot step back and possibly look at herself, and everyone needs to look at themselves and resist that same behavior, thinking that her gossiping about me, taking me to court, ruining my relationships with friends and family, or trying to do that with the kids... It will never lead to anything good. And guess what? Both of them know better now, right? It's not to the degree as the other kids, but hopefully it will just gradually, they'll see me for who I truly am. Faults and everything. Oh, it's beautiful. And and that's, if any message anyone can get, that would be what will get you away from the dragons.
0: Yeah, so see people for who they are. And yeah, it's beautiful, man. Thanks for that. So how do people find you? What are you up to? Where do we send them to?
1: Well, I just finished a TV pilot yesterday. I'm trying to produce more television. I want mailbox money, so I don't have to go sing for my oh, supper. Right. You know, at Tommy T's and above a TGI Friday. <laughs> In <Santa> uh, <laughs> But I am playing all over the country. I took a lot of tour dates trying to make up for some money losses during these court exchanges <laughs> that I was forced to go through. Oh, so, yeah, I'm back on the road. I try to retire from stand-up. But it is the uh, moneymaker for me, and Johnny Laughter Seed is bringing it all over the country, really. Cool. And com, they can sign up and get my emails. And I do once or twice a month emails, kind of make you chuckle a little bit. And I've got a lot of things going right now in the world of laughter healing And I really do believe in it so strongly. And I think we can start to shift one by one. And we're really in that bottom right now, I believe. I think we're having a – like a spiritual bottom no matter who you voted for. Right. It's just we are fighting as I've never seen before. I'm ready for shots to be fired on Fort Sumter at this point. Yeah. Uh, So – I do believe that laughter is the great neutral party that will lift us and uplift us out of this. And I'll continue to do my job and people need to do theirs and show up in comedy clubs, get out of your den, get off of Facebook with your, you know, reposting memes that were done by someone else, (laughs) you know, that you think are funny about a political candidate you don't like and step back, get out of line. Figure out what you don't like about that candidate and see what's going on inside of you that you're projecting onto them. Yeah. And, you know, really, I had to do a lot of work on this election in a way that I've never done before. I had to hit a bottom and I really encourage people to understand you don't have control over them. You do have control over how you perceive them. 100%. It comes down to that,
0: Craig. All right, we're going to wrap there, buddy. This was an absolute honor. I'm just so grateful to have you on today. You made me laugh. I trust you brought transformation and some chuckles and deep belly laughs to many who are listening. (laughs) I'm certain of that. So uh, thanks for joining us today. Really appreciate it. You got it. it.
1: Yeah, come to my live show. You'll laugh even more. I like hurting people. (laughs)
0: <laughs> physically emotionally whatever i love it
1: in, in that way when they walk out and say their face hurts their stomach i say you're welcome for the aerobics it's free yeah baby. but uh but uh it was a pleasure man i'll talk to you in a little bit all right craig thanks buddy
0: I want to thank our guest for sharing his heart and brilliance with us. Thank you, Craig Shoemaker. We're also grateful for your contribution to the world. You can find out more about Craig at craigshoemaker.com. And as we dive deeper into Facing Your Dragon, I want to offer the opportunity for you to discover the number one hidden fear stopping you from earning what you're worth. Be sure to take the one-minute quiz at couragequiz.com. And if there's something here I mentioned that you want to review again, as always, keep in mind, we keep all the notes for you, including links to everything we've talked about today. You can find the show notes for this episode at faceyourdragon.com forward slash episode 006. And finally, I would like to invite you to subscribe and leave a five-star review for the Face Your Dragon podcast by visiting faceyourdragon.com forward slash subscribe be sure to share this episode with your tribe on social media if it was useful for you we'd love that and join our conversation in the face your dragon facebook group as we talk more about your greatest fears being the very thing that will set you free tune in to episode seven because i'll be talking with my dear friend the amazing Ariel ford Sister to the late Debbie Ford and publicist to the likes of Deepak Chopra, Neil Donald Walsh, Louise Hay, and many of the biggest luminaries in the spiritual space, we discuss the relationship blocks and challenges of dating as a high-functioning entrepreneur and thought leader, and actions to take and ways of being that will manifest your soulmate or amplify your current partnership to new heights this incredible being and many more on the face your dragon podcast see you on the next show and remember when you face your dragon and take the leap you will break free